Well, yeah, amen, huh? That was awesome. We should probably just go home, huh? A little laughter. Nobody said no, but... Hey, uh, thanks. <laughs> I appreciate the pity now. Uh, so, uh, you guys ever been cut from a team? I mean, I, I remember the first time I was cut from a team. Uh, we were at practice, and uh, this isn't hard for you to imagine. I had just completed this really tremendous athletic play. It was awesome. You know, it was really, it was, it was amazing. And I was pretty proud of myself, and I was sort of basking in my, uh, the, the glow of my self-adoration in, in that moment. And the coach who was near me kind of leaned over and started talking to this other player, and he was giving him tips about uh, the... Uh, fundamental flaws to my amazing play that had just transpired. And uh, so I sort of sauntered up next to the coach thinking, well, his attention will change. I mean, that, those were my mistakes. Those were my flaws. And he would surely want to fix those mistakes in somebody who had just completed this amazing athletic achievement. But he just continued to uh, talk to this other player and sort of stopped and went about his business. And I thought, that's probably not very good, at least for me. And at the end of that practice, he said, okay, I'm going to read a list of names. And uh, if your name's on this list, I need you to come back to practice tomorrow. And if your name's not on this list, nice knowing you. And he read the names. And he went through the C's. And I thought, this coach isn't very smart. He thinks Kaufman starts with a K. And he gets a little later in the alphabet and he gets through the K's. And I, I thought, this coach shouldn't be a teacher. I have no idea. I have no idea what he thinks that my last name starts with. But he gets all the way through the alphabet sort of thing. And my name's not on the list. And I went home and cried. I remember it like it was yesterday. Mostly because it was just, you know, the other day that Neil Sheshbein ignored my bowling form, wouldn't fill me in on what I did wrong, and didn't let me play on his team that. If you've been cut from a team, you know just sort of how that feels. I mean, to say, to have somebody maybe for the first time say, uh, no, you can't be a part of this group. We don't need you on this team. And if, if coaches in high school can cut players and say, hey, you don't, you ought not be included on this team, doesn't it make sense that the creator of the universe, this big, big God who, who made everything we see, this God who is so absolutely righteous and so absolutely holy, would look at a guy like me and say, uh, no thanks. We can do this without you. And yet that's not what our God does. That's not who our God is. He absolutely invites every one of us to be a part of his team. And as we continue in this series that we're calling One, and we, we take a look at uh, the book of Ephesians, the second chapter again this morning, we're, we're going to walk our way through verses 11 through 22, and there are three keys to, to just what it means to be a part of his team, and what that looks like, and, and how we take advantage of that, and what, what we do from here, because he's invited us to be a part of his team. And if you brought your Bibles, I'd, I'd love for you to open them up 
to uh, the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Maybe you're using uh, your mobile device in that YouVersion app. That's awesome. You can find uh, Wallula under the events button there, and, and it'll have the outline for you that's in your bulletin. It'll have, uh, you know, this scripture reference from Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 11 through 22. Uh, and the app for you. Maybe you're following along on the back of the bulletin with that outline. There's a page number at the top of that outline that'll take you quickly to Ephesians chapter 2 and one of the Bibles you can find in the chairs around you. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. This is what God's Word says. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put uh, to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners or and strangers but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord and in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit three keys key number 1 is that we we should never forget Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles, Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. Last week we talked about the fact that uh, for as long as there have been people, there's been stuff in our world that has caused divisions. You go back to the very beginning of the story, and, and you remember Adam and Eve had a couple of sons, Cain and Abel, and there was certainly division between Cain and Abel. They, they, they fought over who had the better stuff, who, who had the better uh, work and job and, and, and resources from that job to offer to God. There, as long as there have been people, there have been stuff in our lives that divide us. And, and right away in verse 11, we're reminded of the, the biggest division that we read about in the New Testament. When you, when you read the New Testament and the early church in the, in the New Testament, the biggest division that existed was between followers of Jesus who were from a Jewish heritage and followers of Jesus uh, who were not everybody else. And so verse 11 highlights this division. You know, Paul uses these, these words that, hey, the, the circumcised called these other folks the uncircumcised. The, you know, and the, there's this uh, quotation marks uh, around those phrases because, you know, Paul's using this as in, in the way that Jewish followers, Jewish believers used sometimes in the New Testament as sort of this derogatory term for somebody else. 
I don't suppose that really lands in our culture today. It doesn't really make sense to us. But as we read verse 11, you know, it, it does make sense that sometimes our language can create division. Our language can, can cause us to uh, sort of be startled and, and to take note. And, and I don't suppose that we're going to be offended uh, about these term, terms, you know, the, the circumcised and the uncircumcised. But sometimes they're, they're just words that are used that offend us. And, uh, you know, sometimes they're goofy words and silly words. Like, have you ever heard uh, your mama jokes? Those are goofy. They could offend us. I just had lunch with my mama yesterday, so I'm not going to tell you any your mama jokes. Instead, I'm going to tell you some your preacher jokes, okay? Are you ready? All right. Your preacher is so ugly that when he tried to join an ugly contest, they said, sorry, no professionals. I mean, your preacher's standing right here, all right? So, okay, anyway. Uh, your preacher is so dumb that when he drove to Disneyland, he saw a sign that said Disneyland left, uh, so he went home. I think that's debatable whether that's a dumb decision or not, quite frankly, but uh, anyway, uh, that's one. Okay, uh, your preacher's so fat, he took a, they took a picture of him last Christmas, and it's still printing. Yeah, maybe too close to home. I don't know, <laughs> right? There's, there's these goofy terminology sometimes. We use words, and they, they hurt. You know, and we've known this for as long as we've been around, right? We, we grew up learning nursery rhymes. So, you know, sticks and stones might break your bones. But the truth is, as we grew older, we realized that, yeah, sticks and stones can certainly break your bones, but, but words injure as well. And words can divide us. And as we just think about all the stuff in our world today that divide us as a, as a nation, as a people, and even as a church, sometimes words do that. And, and verse 11 ought to stand as just a, just as a marker, as, as, as a reminder that we need to choose our words carefully in all our conversations. I just, I just had a meeting with somebody who, who had a conversation in one of our small groups, and the conversation that was, was had, she just, she just came away, you know, sort of wondering, what in the world is this about? What do I make of this? And she said, Lance, I just need to unpack this with somebody, so help me figure this out. And so we talked about it, and she left in a way better place than when she arrived because we sort of put context around that conversation. But, but understand that if we can have that conversation in one of our small groups with, with folks that we consider friends and family, and we can still walk away sort of wondering, you know, what does this mean, and why do they say this, and, and what do we do with this, then consider the conversation you're having with the coworker you pass in the hallway. Consider the conversation you have with the, the folks in front of you and the, at the Walmart, you know, the conversation you have about the newspaper headline. You know, for sure, I'm not saying don't have those conversations because there's so many big things that are happening in our world that we need followers of Jesus to speak about. We need followers of Jesus to act on. I'm just saying, hey, let's make sure that we're framing these things in context. You know, think about when you forward the article you saw online and you think, man, this makes some really great points, and so you post it on your social media site. Just, just think about how everybody else sees that article. What context are they reading it in? You know, what do they hear? What do they think when they read that? Are you being a great representative of Jesus? 
in that context? Can you share the proper context? I just I had a text conversation with somebody a, a few days ago, and, and in the middle of the conversation, I said, hey, I'm going to see you tonight. Let's continue this conversation because I, I, I think I'm reading into your words, and I think you're reading into my words, and they're not what I mean. I mean, I just said, I'm not upset about this at all. I'm not upset with you. I, I just think we're getting to a place where we can't hear each other like we could when we, we see each other's faces in a face-to-face -face conversation or we talk to each other in that old-fashioned, you know, with the line connected to the phone, kids to talk to your parents. And, you, you know, we just miss something in that written communication. And for sure in today's world, with all this online, you, you know, social media stuff, all the different sites, man, it's easy to miss the context. The other side of that is we have to exercise grace. When we, when we see as brothers and sisters, as family members, when we, when we read the article and we, we click on it, we I can't believe this guy thinks that. Well, we have to exercise some grace until we figure out what's the context here. You know, what, do, what did they intend to communicate? Because maybe what they intended isn't what they're communicating, but what's the heart behind the message? We have to, we have to give the benefit of the doubt, at least until we can have that face-to-face -face conversation, huh? Until we can, we can help them and, and be with them and, and figure out, hey, is this the best thing to say out loud, right? What do you mean? Is this what Jesus would do? Is this what Jesus would say? Let's act like him, though, with each other as well. That's sort of the other side of the coin here as we think about how language sometimes can divide us. That's a great reminder from verse 11. It's not the main point of this first key that to never forget, though. You, know, you get to verse 12, and again, verse 12 begins with that word, remember. You know, it showed up twice right away, right? I underlined both remembers both those words in verse 11 and verse 12, because uh, to me it shows up within that, that short period of time in, in this, uh, these two verses, man, maybe this is kind of important. What does, what does the author want us to remember? That at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Last week we talked about that there's this weird and strange and, and sort of terrible commonality that we all have, and that's that we fall short of the glory of God. That we're sinners, that we miss the mark, that we pursue our own selfish desires instead of his. And that's what Paul wants us to remember here. Not only that we're sinners, but there's consequences to that sin. He kind of lists four here in verse 12 that we're separate from Christ. And by being separate from Christ, we're excluded from citizenship in Israel. When you read those words, don't read some political affiliation or, or some nationality association. That, uh, you know, when you read the, the nation of Israel in the New Testament, often you, could so, you can sort of substitute the church or God's family, and I think that's completely fair here. That when we're separate from Christ, when we're apart from him, then we're, we're outside of the family of God. And by being outside of the family of God, by being foreigners and not citizens in Israel, we're, we're foreigners to the covenants of the promise. We're without hope. We're without hope. You know, we're reminded over and over again, sometimes just by waking up in the morning, that life has a way of piling on. And whether it's the illness that, that you're dealing with or the 
the relationship that is sort of spiraling out of control that you just can't quite get a handle on or the, the job that didn't come through and the financial crisis that follows, whatever it is that life is brewing up for you, we can understand how desperately we need the hope that a relationship with Jesus offers in this world. So for sure, eternity. We're without God in the world, outside of that relationship with Jesus. Key number one is to never forget where we were apart from Jesus. Never forget. You know, every week here at Wallula Christian Church, we, we celebrate communion together. And we celebrate communion together so that we'll never forget. So that we'll, we'll never forget our desperate need for a Savior that we'll never forget that apart from Jesus, there's, there's a consequence to that. There's a consequence to the, our sin and that we absolutely need Jesus to make that difference. And that we'll never forget that the difference that Jesus makes is that he chose to go to the cross and because of his, his choice to go to the cross, because he chose to pay for us a price that every one of us owes that we can't come up with on our own. We can't afford on our own. Because he pays that price that all of us are invited into God's family. That we're made sons and daughters of the king. We celebrate together. You know, every week we, it's sort of the room looks like this. We dim the lights and that's awesome. And it gives us an opportunity to sort of be alone in our thoughts and prayers with God and that's awesome. But we should remember as well that when we read about communion in the New Testament, Jesus instituted this meal with a group of people. They were sharing a meal together. And when you read about the breaking of bread and the book of Acts, uh, the church participated in this meal together. And when you read about uh, the Lord's Supper and other places like the book of 1 Corinthians, the church practiced this, even with their flaws, together. It's a meal that we celebrate sort of individually, but together as well. Jesus died for you, and he died for me. He died for all of us so that we could be together. One team, one family. And so this morning, as the elements are passed, and we, we remember, we never forget that Jesus died for us on that cross. I want to celebrate together. So usually when we'd eat the bread and we'd pass the tray and we'd drink the juice and place it back in and, and pass it on, I, I'd invite you this morning to take that bread and hold on to it. Take that cup of juice and, and hold on to it for, for a moment and we'll celebrate together as we eat, uh, partake in those elements together, okay? All right, we're gonna pray and there, uh, folks are going to pass these elements. God, we love you. We thank you for this opportunity just to, to be with you together. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and eat the bread, remembering his body broken for us. Drink the juice, remembering his blood freely spilled for the forgiveness of our sins. Father God, we are so grateful for Jesus and we're, we're thankful for his uh, choice to go to the cross and for the price that he paid that we owe and that we can't come up with on our own. But even more so, God, we are, we are grateful that uh, his story doesn't end on a cross or in the grave, that he uh, rose on that third day, that he's alive at your right hand, promising to return. 
we're thankful for the hope that his resurrection offers us and for the opportunity that uh, his choice makes for us to be a, a member of your team, a, a part of your family. Thank you for calling us son. Thank you for calling us daughter. Thank you for calling us uh, your children. We love you. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name. Amen. That's really the key number two as we work our way through these verses that uh, we have access to the Father. Uh, verse 13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Last week we talked about the power of that little word, but, and, and uh, it, it stands as this powerful conjunction again, that uh, we were once far away, but now we've been brought near through Jesus. Those words far away, that phrase far away, and that word near, from a Jewish perspective, it was talking about literal geographical distance uh, that people had between themselves and the temple. After all, that's where God lived, right? In the temple. And so the further you were away from Jerusalem, the further you were away from uh, the temple, the further you were away from God. And, and now with a, through a relationship with Jesus, man, we've been brought near. No matter how far away we were, or we feel he's brought us near through Jesus' choice to go to the cross. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, that, that division that is talked about in the New Testament between you know, peoples and, and the division that might still exist between peoples today doesn't need to be. We are one through Jesus, this dividing wall, this separation, this barrier where, where we're that were uh, used by the, uh, the Jewish historian Josephus when he talked about the wall, the actual wall in the temple that separ separated the court of the Gentiles from the, the rest of the temple proper. And if you kind of go to the back of your Bible, maybe you have those pictures, those maps in the back of your Bible, and lots of them have a, have a picture of the old temple. You can, you can look at that and you can see the different areas of the temple. And, and basically what you have is the further you get towards the middle, to, towards the innermost part of the temple, the more exclusive it was as to who could go in. After all, that's where, that's where God was, and so that makes some sense, right? And this, this uh, court of the Gentiles where, hey, anybody could go in here, but, but man, the wall had a warning on it that said anybody who goes past that's not Jewish takes their life into their own hands. And so it was a serious division, you know, the serious setting aside. And that's been, that's been broken down uh, through Jesus. By setting aside in his flesh, verse 15 says, the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace. You know, sometimes we talk about this idea of you know, there's divisions between two groups and we talk about, hey, we need to make everything equal. And that's not really what Jesus is doing here. He, he doesn't talk about, th this idea is not one that we need to raise somebody up to another person's standard. That's not what's happening here. You know, it's more like you, you ever read about the Middle Ages and, and these, these guys who, who practiced alchemy, they, they wanted to make gold, you know, and so they'd melt down all kinds of stuff and they'd put all sorts of junk in, and, and they're trying to make gold from, from two metals. Well, that's, that's sort of the idea here, right? That, that Jesus says, I'm going to take these two groups, and I'm going to make them brand new. 
I'm going to melt them down into a new creation. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God, verse 16, through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Jesus offers us this peace. A peace was a, was a title used by, by Jews in the first century as a name for God. You know, that, that only through God, only through his son, only through Jesus, we have access to the Father by one spirit. Key number three is that uh, we are family, that that access of being invited into his team makes us family. Consequently, verse 19 says, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Foreigners and strangers, that's two words that, that basically mean the same thing. There, there's just a, this little slight designation in them. They're talking about folks who live in a country that is not their own. And the, the difference is, is that one of those folks is sort of in that country for a short period of time. The other person has decided that, hey, I'm going to make this country that's, that's foreign to me, that's not my own, I'm going to make it where, where I, I live permanently. They're kind of in a permanent status. And the idea here is, is that, that that notion of being far away from God, you know, as people, we kind of weigh, we kind of decide how far away we are in comparison to somebody else. You know, man, that guy has messed up this much, but I've really messed up this much, and I'm this far away from God. I'm, I'm further away than him. And, and all that is being taught here in this section of Scripture is it doesn't matter. Jesus has taken away all of those divisions. It doesn't make a difference. How far away we see ourselves, how far away somebody else sees us, makes no difference at all. We had lunch as a staff with some representatives from Brothers in Blue. It's an organization, a missions organization we support here at Wallula that uh, works in prisons. And we talked to this, this guy who, his story just struck me because, you know, it, it was an amazing turnaround in his life told the story of having five felony convictions. I don't really know if five felony convictions is worse than like three felony convictions, but it sounds like it. It seems like it to me, you know? And he talked about just the, the horrendous hole that that put his life in and how it destroyed, you know, not only his prospects for sort of what we consider a successful life in America after even he'd be released from prison, but just the dismay in his relationships that it caused and the destruction to his relationships with his daughters and just the hole that he was in. And how when he met Jesus and started to turn his life around, the hope that that relationship offered and the hope that that continuing relationship offers as he, as he begins to sort of dig his way out of that and Jesus lifts him up out of that hole and makes him new every day and restores him new every day. It's just this dramatic, it's easy for us to see this dramatic transformation. The truth is, you know, for, for a guy with zero felony convictions, right? Man, I, I'm in such desperate need of that same kind of transformation. You know, from the outside world, it might be less dramatic but it's no less important, right? It's no less meaningful. It's no less necessary. 
Now, that's the difference that, that he makes as he uh, makes us family together. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And you know, we talked about that, that picture of the temple in the back of your Bible. And, and now, you know, there's, there's no picture of that temple in, in his body in this world. We're it. We're the temple. We're his church. And he makes his home in each one of us, in every one of us, in all of us, together as a team, as his body, as his family. And it's so awesome to be a part of that team. Maybe you guys uh, have watched this old movie now that, that I've seen. It's a miracle. Uh, it's called Miracle. It's about the 1980 hockey team. They beat the Russians, all that stuff. And there's a scene in the movie where they're getting together. They're forming this team. And, and the coach just makes these guys skate and skate and skate until they're sick. They're literally sick. They just can't skate anymore. And he's trying to convince them that, hey, we need to come together as a team until finally one of those, one of those young men, you know, sort of through the through the loss of air, and he, he can hardly breathe, but he gets out his name, and he gets out where he's from, and the coach asks, who do you play for? And the kid says, the United States of America, and the crowd goes wild, right? The whole point was, hey, the name on the front of your jersey is so much more important than the name on your back. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that God has invited me to be a part of his family, that the name on the front of my jersey follower of Jesus, child of God, member of his household, is so much more important than the name on the back. It's awesome that we can be a part of his family together. Let's pray. Father God, we love you, and we thank you for inviting us into your family and, and making us a part of your team, and, and just thank you for uh, uh, the difference that Jesus makes in, in our lives and, and providing us that opportunity. Help us to be the team that you mean us to be. Help us to be a team that, that pays attention to how we communicate with each other. Help us to be a team that, that never forgets the difference that you've made and, and uh, a team that rejoices in the access we have to you and a team that, that invites others to be a part of your family as well. We love you. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name. Amen. Hey, we love you guys. We'll see you soon.